Welcome to the On The Air podcast, a companion to On The Air magazine, a bi-monthly magazine from ARRL for beginner to intermediate ham radio licensees. I'm your host and the editor of On The Air, Becky Schoenfeld, W1BXY. Every month, the On The Air podcast extends material found in On The Air magazine to help you learn about the many things the ham radio hobby and service has to offer. The On The Air podcast is sponsored by ICOM for the love of ham radio. Welcome to the February 2024 episode. The January-February 2024 issue of On the Air featured a story from Brian McSpadden Gardner, KE8JVX, about the first-year experiences of a general class ham, where Brian details how he got his feet wet as a general and how he put together his first station for HF. Brian's joined us today to tell us a little more about his first year as a general, as well as what he's done since then. Welcome, Brian. Well, thank you, Becky, for having me on today. This is very exciting. Well, thank you for being here. So you've been a general since April 2022? Yes, that's correct. So in your article, you mentioned that you had been a technician for five years and somebody gave you a spectrum analyzer, and that's what really got you interested in HF. Um, that's a really different sort of story from what I usually hear about what inspired people to upgrade. Uh, a lot of times it's um, it's very focused in operating. You know, I, I heard all the, the fun stuff that was going on on HF, and I wanted to be able to have access to that. Um, so this it seems like you're coming at it a little differently. What was it about the spectrum analyzer that sparked your interest in upgrading? Well, I think there are two things. First of all, uh, when I got my technician's license in 2018, we were at a solar minimum and <laughs> technicians can really only get onto 10 meters and there wasn't much activity there. I'd gone to the Hamvention uh, that year where I got licensed and kind of saw for the first time all the different things that ham radio operators do. And I only had a certain amount of time to, to get involved. So I worked a little bit with the repeaters and I set up my home VHF station. Uh, but between life and work and uh, just a little difficulty in wrapping my head around all of that, um, there, there wasn't a lot of activity for me. But the second thing is that uh, in my job, I. I go through the Midwest and I see all these antennas on people's houses and outside their barns. And I think it was just as a part of my normal work, seeing all of the variety that kind of pushed me back and saying, there's gotta be lots of different types of radio propagation. And so I went online and I found out more about not only um, VHF and UHF, which I was licensed to work in, but also HF and uh, medium frequencies and frequencies that were higher and started to understand more of what was there. And when I got that spectrum analyzer, I got to see actually which signals were bouncing around wherever I was. And it was really cool to see how in different parts of uh, the Midwest where I was traveling, I would see different types of signals pop up. And I saw a lot pop up on the weekends uh, around HF. And of course, I think what really appeals to me now that I've been in it for a year and a half or so is uh, making contacts at long distances, particularly doing DX. And I think that that spectral analyzer gave me my first vision of that and that mm. possibility. 
Well, so you came at it from a, a visual angle instead of uh, what I hear from a lot of folks about, you know, I was I was tuning around and, you know, or I heard a, a friend with a, a general or an extra tuning around and uh, the, it's a different way to come at it. That's really interesting. Yeah, and I think, too, that some of it, you know, all of our minds work a little bit differently and uh, I'm a conceptual guy and so the idea that there are people who take, you know, the equivalent of a hundred watt flashlight and shine it up at the ionosphere and it bounces off once, twice, uh, or skims around and you can talk to people mm -hmm. half the world away. That's just really yeah. a neat concept. Yeah. So um, you mentioned in your article that you studied for the general for three months. Um, how'd you go about that? Did you self-study? Were you in a class? Um, how'd you do yeah. that? I, I probably didn't do it the most efficient way. I started with uh, the licensee handbook. Mm -hmm. And of course, those are great. Uh, I'm a pretty much a book learner. I like to read a lot. Uh, but I also got one of the apps that uh, mm -hmm. gives you a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. And uh, one thing when I went through my schooling, when I took that physics portion that dealt with electromagnetism, mm -hmm. that was probably my lowest science grade in oh, all of my schooling. <laughs> so for whatever reason, my brain isn't quite wired that way. And uh, there's a significant part of the general that you have to learn some very basic stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think for some people, it's pretty easy. For me, it was just a little bit more difficult. So I would, I would read a chapter a week. Uh, I would take questions, practice those questions. By the time that I was four chapters further, the first chapter questions had kind of fallen out of my brain. So it took me a while to, to get to the point where I was really comfortable with the material. But, you know, it's a hobby. So it wasn't like I was spending, you know, four hours a day studying like I was in school. This was just kind mm -hmm. of a part-time weekend activity. But by the time spring rolled around, I felt confident enough that I could pass. And then I looked uh, to see where VE examiners uh, in central Ohio were giving exams that I could take and upgrade. Mm -hmm. So um, so that's great that, you know, you, you did it yourself. There's no one path, you know, to uh, studying for a license. And and as you said, you know, people's people's minds are different. People respond to, to different types of learning. Um, so, and as you mentioned, it's a hobby. So it took you three months shipping away at it here and there. I imagine you had to brush up on things that fell out of, of your, your brain. Um, how did you keep yourself motivated and on track over those three months that's a yeah. good chunk of time yeah well you know it it was long on the calendar but like i said i was only probably putting an hour or two a week into it mm -hmm. um, and that's just because that's where i am in life uh, ironically it wasn't until after i got my general license exam that i started exploring the arl website a little bit more thoroughly and mm -hmm. found all their great educational materials <laughs> And at that point, I kind of kicked myself. Oh, I should have just taken the video uh, practice. That yeah. would have been a lot easier. Yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, that's part of what's fun about the hobby is that there are so many channels now, whether it be YouTube or websites uh, or at the library. And, you know, it's sometimes hard to find those sources that really resonate with you as a learner. And uh, in my case, I... I went about it the old-fashioned way and then discovered that, you know, this new-fashioned way with recordings and videos, that's really yeah. actually really 
easy. Yeah, <laughs> it's I out I there. I do more yeah. of that now than I did when I was first studying for the general. Hmm. Yeah, so you know now if you maybe want to upgrade to extra, you know that those videos are there. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned that soon after you upgraded to general, you attended meetings of not one but two clubs that were local to you. Um, it's really fortunate that you had multiple local clubs. Um, do you, can you tell us the names of the clubs? Sure, sure. So uh, one is actually, so I'm, I live in central Ohio near uh, the capital city of Columbus. And so, you know, I'm blessed by being in a large metropolitan area. And there are actually a couple of additional clubs. Uh, the two that I was involved with uh, first was the one that had given me uh, my uh, general license and uh, also gave me my first experience on the air on HF at Field Day in 2022. Mm -hmm. And that's the CRES Amateur Radio Club. And uh, they're still quite active. And uh, I worked with them for a little bit doing uh, uh, now I'm forgetting. <laughs> now you're going to have to edit this part out. Uh, I worked with the CRS uh, ARC uh, on their uh, repeater uh, when they had online uh, meetings through Echolink. Mm -hmm. uh, part of the challenge with them is that they're on the far side of Columbus. And so it's like a 45 minute drive. Uh, and so it's just, uh, again, a little bit harder just to stay involved with them. Uh, but I did get some good resources and some mentoring uh, when I was uh, working with them. The other one was the Central Ohio Radio Club. Again, um, kind of like with any social club, there's uh, different personalities involved and they were very welcoming. Uh, unfortunately, the time frames that they normally meet don't work well with my work schedule. Uh, but again, their websites gave me more access to more sources of information and I was able to see some of the presentations that had been given at their clubs that they had posted their own slides for and that mm. that helped me learn more and appreciate more about the hobby as well. Great. So shout out to those clubs. It sounds like they uh, they were very helpful to you. That's wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, were you involved in clubs as a technician? No, I wasn't. And again, part of that was uh, work related. And the other part was just being kind of slow to understand all the things that were available to people. So um, how did you end up becoming aware of those clubs? Uh, I think it was around the, the time that uh, I was studying for my general and thinking about, okay, uh, who ends up putting on the license exams and mm. recognizing that, yeah, it's generally volunteers in the local amateur radio clubs. And those are the people who also get involved with all of the service, the Aries and the uh, marathons and bike races yep. that provide extra support there. Uh, most of that's done on VHF, which again, like I said, um, I, I wasn't as interested in, uh, but I think it's really great that those people are there and willing to teach newbies what yeah. they know, because again, there's so many different places where people can end up in the hobby. And uh, I've just found that the people in those clubs, as well as the community as a whole, are very welcoming to new people. So do you have any advice for uh, new hams who um, might feel uh, a little, you know, fearful about walking into a, a ham club meeting without knowing anybody? 
Um, do you have any any um, pep talk kind of stuff for them? Well, I, I think the, the the biggest thing is uh, in uh, ham radio, it's really about doing, getting on the air, right? And I think that if you don't know when and how to approach a club uh, beyond getting your license, the best time is really around field day because that has much more of a picnic atmosphere. People are set up often to be welcoming at that point. And so it's a lot easier to kind of see what the uh, setup of antennas is all about, what operating really looks like. You know, for me as an individual, that first year and particularly the first six months, uh, it was reading how you're supposed to uh, communicate on the air and what the order of information is. But until you actually do it, it doesn't slip yeah. off the tongue very easily. But yep. seeing someone do that at field day made me a lot more comfortable. So I'd really recommend people, you know, try going out for their local field day. Find out where their local clubs are being set up. They typically have that information on their websites, uh, and that's very easy to Google up. Uh, in terms of going to the clubs themselves, you know, it's like any other social situation. You you show up, but you got to say hi and introduce yourself. And <laughs> when you do that, you'll find that most people are willing to say hello to you and ask you, hey, what brought you to the club today? And I think that they'll find that, again, the ham radio community generally is quite uh, welcoming in that mm -hmm. regard. Did So you mentioned, you know, sometimes it's hard to in, in the wealth of resources that's out there, it's hard to find uh, the thing that you really needed until maybe after you've already found what you were looking for. Um, did you know about ARL's uh, club locator? We've we've got a club locator. We've got a um, a field day site locator. Yeah. Did you, do you know about those? Yes, I do. And and actually, yeah. I think that's actually how I found the field day location. Oh, good. Uh, yeah. Was actually through that site. You know, again, I know it's only been a year and a half, uh, but it seems like several years because I've I've done so much activity. Uh, almost every other week, I'm on the air uh, doing uh, either contests or uh, just trying to do some experiments with my antennas and learn a little bit more about propagation from my home location. Wonderful. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about your HF station. Um, you spend a, a quite a bit of time in the article talking about how you approached that very methodically. Um, so what did you start with as a technician? Uh, did you have anything as a tech that you were able to to build upon? Yeah, so as, as a tech, of course, I started with a handheld transceiver. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I also really got started with a 50-watt mobile station and mm -hmm. a battery power lithium phosphate battery, uh, and then just what would be a, a, a mobile antenna. So that's kind of how I set up my station initially. And like I said, I could hit several repeaters within a 30 mile radius of my home with that uh, and made some contacts that way. Uh, mm -hmm. I started with the ICOM 7100, which also has D-Star. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's how I first learned about, again, uh, these internet-based links that you hit a repeater and then the repeater's connected to the internet and transfers your signal to another repeater at some distance away and uh, made some contacts that way as well. Uh, but not quite as uh, many as I'd hoped. 
part of it, well, actually most of it was me not quite understanding propagation very well and not really having a good orientation and, and quite honestly, not very much height on my antenna, oh. uh, which is a problem in my location. <laughs> um, but the, um, so that was kind of my BHF experience. Mm -hmm. um, so for HF, you mentioned that you figured out what your goals were for the station as well as your budget and and then followed up with a bunch of research where you tried to find equipment that was aligned to those goals right um can you talk a little bit about the research that you did where did you find good information uh, did you learn anything that was surprising to you uh, mm -hmm. as you looked for stuff that was a good match for your goals Sure. So, you know, obviously having gone to the Hamvention and, and becoming aware of uh, the different retailers out there, I would go to their websites and see again all of all of the different types of equipment. And it's like, all right, so anything from a few hundred dollars to several thousand dollars. And and I was definitely not at the high end of that. Um, but I wanted new uh, as opposed to used. Um, but I found that the uh, resource eHamNet was really useful. Uh, they have a, uh, a lot of hams uh, who've worked with different types of equipment talking about both the pros and the cons of different equipment. So that kind of really allowed for some comparison there. And of course, when I was going to the club meetings, I'd sometimes ask people what their setup was. Uh, and we all have our preferences. And, you know, there are some people uh, that prefer one brand over another. Uh, but really, since the 1990s, I think the quality of all of the equipment that's out there is is so much better than it had been in the mm -hmm. decades before that for people who are getting started, it's hard to go wrong. Uh, mm -hmm. The difference will end up being uh, in uh, maybe a factor of two or three of sensitivity. Uh, but all of it will allow you to kind of get on uh, the air and, like I said, make contacts. Uh, for me, the exciting thing was making DX contacts, um, and I've um, mapped those out now over the past year, and we can talk about that in a little bit if you like. Um, and I think you can do that with a lot of the different types of equipment that's out there. But the base, what you need is you need a good antenna with a minimal setup. Uh, I started with uh, a buddy stick antenna, made some contacts on 20 meters, uh, found that I was getting a little bit of feedback with it because I wasn't tuning it very well because I was trying to tune it with a radio that didn't have an internal tuner. So I got an external tuner, I got an SWR meter, and those things really helped me improve my efficiency with it. But it was a compromise antenna. It's great as a portable. It's very light, very easy to set up. But then I got into wire antennas and learned about, you know, the importance of height and directionality with those. And so it just kind of led from one thing to another. But again, trying to stay within a budget. Um, because ultimately, uh, there's always more fun things that you could be doing than you have money. To yeah. Do, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so your article, uh, covers your first year as a general, which takes us up to about April, 2023. Right. Um, and here we are in the early part of 2024. So 
what has been happening? What have you been doing in the hobby since uh, spring 2023? Well, I think the the biggest thing was, you know, my first year was to try to make, you know, over uh, 100 contacts and I easily was was able to do that. Um, but then I wanted to make over 500 contacts in the in the next period. And with all of the contesting that I've been doing, uh, I uh, actually for 2023 made over a thousand contacts, 500 plus of those had been confirmed by a logbook on the world. Um, and uh, that resource is also something that I've come to, to use and appreciate. Um, for Christmas, I got two of the, the new books uh, to hey. keep up my learning. <laughs> Uh, again, yep. I'm I'm a scientist by training, though a biologist, and so it's kind of fun to play around with antennas and see where things go. And you know, one of the great resources that was in there was talking about these azimuthal maps, and I plotted out uh, where I had made contacts in the past year on the different grids, so that yeah. I can then again set those personal goals, mm -hmm. which make it fun. And I think yeah. for me, a lot of it is just making contact with people. And uh, in the contest, it's about numbers and locations and points. But in those off times, it's about talking with people and, mm. you know, talking to people who want to chat, who are in a different country. It's, it's the cheapest form of travel you can get. And yeah. it's a great way <laughs> to connect. Yeah. So, um what advice do you have for technician class hams who are thinking about upgrading, maybe wondering, you know, uh, can I handle the test material? Can I study adequately? Um, is it going to cost me a fortune to, to set up my new station? Um, any thoughts, uh, what you might say? So, so first thing is uh, you're actually lucky as a technician right now. We're about hitting the social maximum. So there's actually quite a lot of activity on 10 meters and there will be for the next couple of years. So yep. if, if you're on a really tight budget, you can just get uh, transmitters that are focused on 10 meters. And for just a couple of hundred dollars, I can guarantee you, you could get a setup that will get you thousands of miles worth of uh, contacts. And maybe you'll hit one of those lucky uh, weather events like I did uh, in the past year where I hit Australia once and it was confirmed. And, you know, to do that on 100 watts, that, that's kind of amazing. Uh, the second thing is that as you do go uh, up to the next level, take a look at the different uh, options. Uh, there are some really good entry-level HF radios that are about $1,000. You can find used versions of those or their predecessors for a few hundred dollars, four or 500. You can get a really good rig uh, that will serve you for five or 10 years easily. Um, and, you know, I really enjoy the portable setup. You know, it costs about $100 for a solid battery that you can easily recharge at home, but it'll give you a half day, if not a full day, of operating out in the field. Um, a simple SWR meter, I think, is really important. It, it allows you to get your antenna tuned so that your efficiency is really as high as it can be. And that's really important if you're operating at less than 100 watts. And then for those who, you know, are interested in pushing the limits, you know, you can go in so many directions. But I'd say for the, the first year, keep it simple, get a basic HF rig that gets you on the uh, bands from 80 meters to 10 meters on antenna setup that'll do that. 
and you'll just have many, many hours of fun operating ahead of you. Fantastic. And that's what it's all about, having fun. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, this was, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, and for, for those who are wondering about, you know, getting prepared and uh, preparing to, to get that license, it is a lot easier. And I would strongly advise doing what I didn't do, which is to go online, uh, the educational resources that the ARRL has uh, that are also available elsewhere on the internet. Those video classes uh, can make it really easy. Local radio clubs sometimes have classes as well. And if you like to learn with others, maybe that's the best thing for you. Uh, but really, there's just many different tools out there that don't really cost much of anything other than the time uh, for you to learn. And you'll learn a lot of new things that will make the hobby more enjoyable. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Brian. Brian McSpadden Gardner, KE8JVX, been with us today to uh, talk about what it's like to be a new general. And uh, thank you. Thanks again, Brian. Thank you very much for having me. Have a great day. You too. The On The Air podcast will be back in March 73. 73.